The scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because you are grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Great to be with you all here this morning. In his book, The Power of Regret, Daniel Pink tells the story of Jeff Bosley. When Jeff was 29 years old, he decided he wanted to get a tattoo. So he went to the tattoo shop, and with the tattoo artist, they opened up Microsoft Word and chose the papyrus font. And uh, it gets much worse, actually, uh, believe it or not. Yeah, and for about $100, the artist inked nine black letters on his arm. No regrets. Now statistically, about one out of five people who gets a tattoo eventually ends up regretting their decision. And Jeff, of course, was one of those. Later on in life, he realized that he had plenty of regrets. He realized that he regretted not taking college more seriously. He regretted hurting his wife by seeking a divorce. He regretted not pursuing his longtime love of acting. And of course, he regretted that horrible tattoo. But he also realized this. He said, I do have regrets, but they fuel me. Regrets suck, but I like that better than those people who say no regrets. This is what Daniel Pink calls the power of regret. There's a type of regret that rather than being a negative thing, can actually make us better. And here's the key. If your regret leads you to make a change in your life, in your attitudes, your actions, your desires, your habits, then it can make you better. Prodded by his regret, Jeff eventually moved to Southern California and is now making his living as an actor. And taunted by his tattoo, he decided to get it removed. You can imagine the humor in that. He says that every time he goes to the uh, removal place and it's a new technician or a nurse, he says, I get it. The joke is not lost on me. But we hear it everywhere. We, uh, there are songs uh, so- titled No Regrets, sung by artists ranging from Ella Fitzgerald to Eminem. Angelina Jolie says, I don't believe in regrets. Even pastors say it. 
Vincent Peale, one of the most influential pastors of the 20th century, pastored right here in New York City at the Marble Collegiate Church, he said, leave no room for regrets. But I don't know about you, but like Jeff Bosley, I have plenty of regrets. I regret not going to a different college when I had the chance. I regret the times that I'm unkind towards my wife. One of my biggest regrets of this past year is not being more patient and attentive to my son. And I regret every day the ways that I sin against God. But the good news for those of us who have regrets is that there is a type of regret that can make us better and in fact, according to our passage for today, leads to our salvation. Thousands of years before Jeff Bosley regretted his tattoo or before Daniel Pink wrote his book, the Apostle Paul said this. This is the main point of our sermon today. If your regret, what Paul calls godly grief, if your regret leads you to repentance, it brings about salvation without regret. If your regret leads you to repentance, to genuine change in your life, it brings about salvation without regret. So let's take a look at this. We're going to focus today on verse 10. And in this verse, Paul distinguishes two types of regret. Take a look at it. He says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. The first type of regret is what uh, Paul calls godly grief, or what we're going to call godly regret. And he says earlier in verse 9 that this is the kind, of the, reg- uh, the kind of regret that the Corinthian church felt. So here's what happened in the Corinthian church. This is a picture of godly regret. There's a man in the church who wronged Paul. And we don't know exactly what he did, but we know that the church should have enacted church discipline against him. And as a quick side note, what is church discipline? Church discipline is having serious conversations with someone who's not repenting of their sin and begging for them to repent. The church should have been having these kinds of conversations with this man, but they didn't. And so because of that, the Apostle Paul wrote to them a letter rebuking them for their failure to act. And this letter, uh, it's not something we have today, it's not a part of the inspired Word of God, but we know about it from this passage and uh, a couple others as well. And this letter was apparently so severe that it even grieved Paul for a while because he saw how it had grieved the church. But because of this letter, the the church came to see their wrong. They regretted not standing up for Paul and disciplining the man as they should have. And then here's the key. Their regret led them to repentance. They repented of their inaction and finally disciplined the man as they should have. That's godly regret. It's regret that leads to a real change in your life. Godly regret produces repentance, like it says in this verse. And that's the kind of regret that Daniel Pink has in mind when he talks about the power of regret. It's the kind of regret that leads you to pick up everything you own and move across the country to pursue your love of acting. It's the kind of regret that leads you to endure the pain and the cost of getting that horrible tattoo removed. It's the kind of regret that leads you to pick up the phone and call the person whom you've wronged. It's the kind of regret that leads you to wake up early in the morning and pray earnestly for God to change your heart. 
It doesn't mean that we always repent perfectly, but it means we make an earnest effort to change, and we ask for God's help to do so. The second type of regret is worldly regret. And worldly regret is like this. How many of you have uh, regretted acting unkindly towards a friend or a coworker, but then done nothing about it? The rest of you all should regret lying to a pastor right now. <laughs> of course, we all know what that's like. We know what it's like to feel regret for a moment, but then do nothing about it. We feel a certain amount of remorse when we disrespect a coworker, but it leaves our mind just as quickly as it comes. It doesn't lead us to ask for forgiveness or to consider how we might act differently next time. This is what Paul calls worldly grief or worldly regret. It's regret that doesn't lead to any lasting change in your life. The difference between godly regret and worldly regret isn't in how we feel. We might feel sorry for what we did. It might even make us sick to think about it. But if our feelings of regret don't lead us to make a change in our life, in our attitudes, in our actions, then it's not godly regret. And sometimes the reason that our regret doesn't lead us to make a real change in our lives is because we don't so much regret what we did or didn't do as we regret that we now have to face the consequences. So maybe we don't so much regret that we took a shortcut, shortcut on a project at work so much as we regret that we got caught. Or we don't regret that we spoke um, negatively about our boss so much as we regret that she found out. And this kind of regret is a regret that doesn't lead to real change. We might make a superficial change in order to you know, avoid being found out and having to deal with the consequences, but it doesn't produce a genuine change in our heart and in our lives. Worldly regret is also the kind of regret that an abuser may show. They might express a certain amount of sorrow, but at best it's sorrow about the consequences. At worst, it's nothing more than manipulation. It's an attempt to deceive you and others into thinking that they've changed in order to get whatever it is that they want. If you've experienced a relationship like that or wonder if you might be in a relationship like that now, please reach out to me or to David or one of the other elders. I'm, I'm sure we would all love to help you or to get you the help that you need. There are two types of regret, godly regret and worldly regret. And the difference between them is that one leads to real change and the other does not. And these two types of regret lead to two very different outcomes. Take a look again at verse 10. For godly grief or godly regret produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The result of godly regret is salvation without regret. And here's what this looked like for the Corinthian church. So remember, Paul wrote to them this letter, rebuking them for their failure to act against this wrongdoer. And this letter grieved the church. They felt a godly regret, and it led them to repentance. They finally did enact church discipline against this man who had done the wrong. And when they do, that man, too, feels a godly regret, and it leads for him to repent also. We learned about that earlier in, in chapter 2. And so check out all the layers of reconciliation in this church. I mean, we're so used to conflict leading to broken relationships, 
either on what we see on TV or in our own lives. But it's not what happened here. Look at what happened. What happened was, in the end, the one who wronged Paul is restored to Paul, to the church, and to God. And the church is restored to Paul and to God. The whole church went from being estranged to being reconciled. What an incredible outcome. It must have been so beautiful to experience that. And the turning point was that they felt a godly regret that produced in them repentance and led to their salvation without regret. Here's another story of what the outcome of godly regret can be. I still remember uh, a married couple from the first full-time job I had at a church. They were, I think, probably in their 40s at the time. They had two older children, and they had been unhappily married for years. And eventually, it came to a head, and they were about to get a divorce, but they decided to seek marriage counseling. And after a lot of hard work, after their regret led for them to make real changes in their relationship, they reconciled. And I remember they decided to have a recommitment ceremony. And it was so special to be there and to witness them reaffirm their vows before their friends and family. Such a moving thing to be a part of. That was a little over 10 years ago, and actually next month they're celebrating their 22-year anniversary. That's the outcome of godly regret. If we repent of our sin before God and before those whom we've wronged, it leads to salvation without regret. And I can promise you this. You won't regret your godly regret. Do you think that couple regrets getting reconciled? Have you ever regretted seeking reconciliation with someone whom you've wronged? I haven't. I only ever regret not humbling myself and asking for forgiveness. It's always worth it to repent before my wife and enjoy a sweeter friendship with her. I never regret doing that. I only ever regret failing to do it sooner. How much more in our relationship with God. I can promise you that you'll never regret repenting before Him. It's always worth humbling ourselves and receiving His embrace and enjoying a closer walk with Him. If your regret leads to repentance, it brings salvation without regret. Now, worldly regret, on the other hand, has a very different outcome. Look again at verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Instead of salvation without regret, worldly regret leads only to more regret and to death. It's like when you find yourself falling into the same patterns over and over again. Maybe you've experienced this with an addiction to alcohol or another drug. And this can happen with any sin in our lives. We feel a certain amount of remorse each time, but then we're right back at it. We just dig ourselves a deeper and deeper hole, and it only leads to more and more regret. It's like adding more and more ink to that tattoo. Deeper and deeper, bolder 
and bolder. If your regret doesn't lead to real change in your life, then you get caught in this cycle of death. And when we're talking about a relationship with God, we're not just talking about regretting a bad tattoo. We're talking about eternal regret. And so here's the choice before you today. When you take an honest look at your life and you see things that you regret, where you feel only a worldly regret, where you feel remorse for a moment but then let it leave your mind just as quickly as it came, Will you live by the mantra, no regrets? Or will you feel a godly regret? Will you recognize your regrets and allow that to propel you to change, to repent before God and before others? This is the same choice that was before the Corinthian church when Paul wrote to them. He rebuked the church because he desired for them to experience a godly regret, that they might experience not more regret and death, but salvation without regret. He says in verse 12 why it is he wrote to them. Take a look at, at this. This is while he, why he wrote this letter. It says, So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, that's, that is Paul, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. That is, in order that you might repent and be reconciled to me and to God. Therefore, we are comforted. Paul wrote to them because it pained him to be separated from them and to see them living in sin. He yearned for them to repent and to be reconciled to him. And did you notice this? When they finally did repent, the main thing he wants to tell them is that it has brought him tremendous comfort. It's actually the main point of this passage. We're focusing on verse 10, but the main point of verses 8 to 13 is that last part in, in verse 13. Therefore, we are comforted. The main point is not that the Corinthians repent and Paul feels justified, although he certainly is. The main point is that Paul feels comforted. And that's love, isn't it? Paul is so emotionally invested in the church that when they are reconciled to him, when they repent, the main thing he feels is comfort. We get a glimpse into his love for the church back in chapter 2 as well. In chapter 2, he tells the church that when he wrote to rebuke them, he did it, quote, out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. When our brother or sister is caught in sin, the most loving thing we can do is not to give them space, but to humbly, with many tears, beg for them to repent. That's what the Apostle Paul did for the church here. And think about it, he could have easily have just written them off. They had rejected him. He had left town. It would have been so easy for him to just not forget about them or not think about them again. I mean, who would have questioned the Apostle Paul? That's not what he did. He says that because of his abundant love for them, he wrote to them this letter of rebuke that they might repent 
and experience reconciliation with him and with God, the salvation without regret. And here's the thing for us today. That's the same kind of abundant love that God has for you too. He doesn't give up on you. Though we ignore him, reject him, even despise him, still he pursues us with his love. Just as Paul wrote to the Corinthian church this letter, so God has given us his inspired word that we might know his abundant love, repent of our sins and experience salvation without regret. And even more than the Apostle Paul longed to be reconciled with the Corinthian church, even more than that, Jesus longs for you to be reconciled to himself. He so longs for you that he earnestly, with zeal, out of much affliction, gave his life for you. And because of that, if you turn to him with a godly regret, he will run to you with open arms. So what does this godly regret look like in our everyday lives? What does it look like to turn to God that we might experience the salvation without regret? Well, as part of his research for his book, The Power of Regret, Daniel Pink um, created two surveys, the American Regret Project and the World Regret Survey. And from his research, he divided regret into four different categories. I think these categories can be helpful as we seek to apply this passage to our lives. So let's take a look at them. According to Pink, the category of regret that we feel the most often is what he calls connection regrets. We regret fractured or unrealized relationships. This could be with a partner, a parent, a sibling, friend, coworker, etc. Maybe you can identify with some of these regrets. So these are actual re uh, responses to his surveys. So one man, an older man who said he'd never built a strong bond with his father, he said, I often regret not having a beer with him as adult men. Another said, I regret letting good friends drift away by not staying in touch. One woman said she regrets not taking time to be a better friend, sister, daughter, letting time slip away and suddenly realizing that I'm 48. The regret that the Corinthian church felt was a connection regret. They regretted not standing up for Paul and, as a result, fracturing their relationship with him and with God. So what does a godly connection regret look like? How can our connection regrets drive us to repentance and experience salvation without regret? Well, first, when you feel a connection regret, ask yourself, what is there for which I may need to ask forgiveness? Was I unkind or unforgiving towards the other person? Did I prioritize work or other things when I should have been prioritizing this relationship? Examine yourself and then ask for their forgiveness if you can. And even if you've been out of touch for years, you might be surprised at how receptive they can be if you reach out. And second, confess these things before God. We need the Spirit of God to work in our hearts to make us more like Christ. It's by his spirit in us that he gives us this godly regret. 
ask him to do that. Just as the godly regret of the Corinthian church led to reconciliation both with Paul and with God, so let your connection regrets lead you to repent both before those whom you've wronged and before God. Confess to God the ways that you've mistreated that person or taken them for granted. And ask him to work in you to make you a better friend moving forward. The second category of regret is what Pink calls foundation regrets. These regrets sound like, if only I'd done the work. Maybe some of these sound familiar. One person said, I regret thinking that working 18 hours a day, six days a week when I first started out, would help me become successful. Instead, I destroyed my marriage and almost my health. Another person said, I drink way too much in my early 20s. Or another, I regret not saving money diligently ever since I started working. Or another one said, I regret that I did not take my college years more seriously. Rather than thinking of the future, I spent too much time enjoying the present. And we can see how the Corinthian church's regret could have, could have become a foundation regret. If they had continued to neglect to do this hard work of rebuking the man who wronged Paul, it would have led to the, to the demise of the church. So what does a godly foundation regret look like? What well, could like, look like confessing to God any lack of wisdom, any self-indulgence, any laziness or selfishness, and asking him to instead make you into a person marked by faithfulness, wisdom, and sacrificial love. By his spirit, he has the power to do that in you. There's a Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. By God's mercy, that is true of all of our regrets. His mercies are new every morning, and it's never too late to repent. Pink's third category of regret is called boldness regrets. And these sound like, if only I'd taken the risk. Here are some examples. One person said, I regret not taking more chances and being so shy. Another person said, I regret that I didn't ask her out. It would have been life-changing. I regret not having the courage to be more bold earlier in my career and caring too much what other people thought of me. Or this one, I regret not leaving my safe job to follow my instincts and stay true to my core values sooner. We can see how the Corinthians' regret could fit partly into this category as well. Instead of taking the risks of standing up for Paul, instead of risking backlash or awkwardness, they took the route that seemed safer or easier at the time. They capitulated and tried to ignore the wrong or be okay with it. That's a temptation for all of us people-pleasers. So what does a godly boldness regret look like? It probably looks like coming to God and asking him to forgive our fear of man or our lack of trust in him and asking him to instead grow our faith in his power and protection. The final category Pink gives is moral regrets. Here are uh, just two examples of those. One says, I began an extramarital affair that cost me my integrity, job, and friendships, and almost cost me my family, a master's degree, and my faith. 
Or this one, I made fun of a kid in middle school. Pink puts regrets like these in a separate category, but really we can see how most, if not all of our regrets, have a moral core. We've either done something that we shouldn't have done or didn't do something that we should have done, and now we regret it. And so just like our connection, foundation, and our boldness regrets, a godly moral regret looks like two things. First, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation from those whom we've wronged. And second, coming before God, asking for His forgiveness, and pleading for His Spirit to change our hearts. But here's the problem with all of this. The problem is that even at our best, our regret is a mixture of godly and worldly regret. Even our purest repentance is like drinking cloudy, smelly water. Our earnestness fades like a flower. Our fear of God turns into presumption about His mercy. Our longing to be reconciled fades to apathy. And even when we feel regret and strive with all of our might to do better, we still continue to struggle with the same sins, oftentimes for our entire lives. And because of that, we deserve to suffer the loss that the Apostle Paul warns us about in verse 9. We deserve an eternity of death and regret. But the good news is that there is one who has lived and died on our behalf. Jesus is the only one who could ever truly write on his arm no regrets. He never wronged a friend so as to feel a connection regret. He never acted unwisely or self-indulgently so as to feel a foundation regret. He never had a fear of man so as to feel a boldness regret. Unlike the Corinthian church who failed to have difficult conversations with the man who wronged Paul, Jesus spoke the truth even when it was hard. He called people to repentance even as they tried to kill him. And unlike the Corinthian church who failed to punish the wrongdoer, Jesus does not fail to punish wrong. But because he so longs for you, he took the punishment that you deserve. He suffered that loss that we might gain life. And because of that, if you turn to him, he will forgive all your regrets, your connection regrets, your moral regrets, your small regrets, your biggest unspeakable regrets. He paid for them all on the cross. And not only that, but he will also, through his word and by the power of his spirit, work in you a godly regret. Instead of no regrets, he will tattoo upon your heart a godly regret that leads to salvation without regret. Let's pray. God, we come to you today filled with all kinds of regrets. 
We confess that we have sinned against you and against others, oftentimes in ways that we dare not even speak aloud. Thank you that we can come to you with all our regrets and receive forgiveness through the death of your Son. Thank you for your abundant love for us, deeper even than we can ever know. Teach us to come to you with all of our regrets. And in your mercy, give us your spirit to change our hearts that we might experience salvation without regret. Amen.